The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So that's, uh, you know, normally we take uh, almost an hour to do the meditation, and then we take the last half an hour or so. I usually offer a little beginning theme and then just see what people are learning in their own lives. You know, whether we are conscious of it or even whether we are intentional about it, we're all learning about love. Even avoiding love is, we learn a few things. You know, avoid doing it formally or thinking that it's silly or whatever attitudes we might have. As I mentioned, it's just somewhat astounding that something, something that is capable of delivering real good feeling is often, almost always, neglected. I mean, we spend a lot of time thinking about how to make money or how to be liked by the people we want to be liked. But how much time, like if we added it all up in our lives, have we spent deeply reflecting how can my mind, my heart be more fully established and that delicious feeling of love <laughs> or that stabilizing feeling of love. It's just interesting. And I was thinking about it just, you know, I'm sure I'm not alone um, feeling a bit pushed around by politics in this country and uh, disheartened in different ways. And, and I, it's not about people's political particular political leanings as much as it is about being in a world that's divisive, which I th- would imagine everyone feels, regardless of people's political leanings. And then, so what does love look like when it's really divisive? And, and one thought I, that came to me, and it may be sort of a beginning of a discussion we can have, and this, is, this really comes out of the Buddhist teachings. You know, as we value present moment awareness, we see how easy it is to cause ourselves harm. And we see how easy it is for other people to cause themselves harm and for each other, for all of us, to cause each other harm, right? It's pretty easy. I mean, in our intimate relationships, it's so easy to hurt the other person, even when we have no intention to, let alone our cats and people, colleagues at work and things like that. It's just really easy. And so the, <clears throat> the arising of love, kindness, loving kindness, is that understanding where we realize how easy it is to cause harm. So on the one hand, we're noticing the enormity, like how much suffering there is, how easy it is to set more in motion, and how much I don't want to set more in motion. Right? So that's, that's the beginning where we realize, I want to take care. I want to pay attention because I don't want to cause unnecessary harm. It's not like we can actually get through life without stepping on toes. I'm not sure that's possible. I mean, the setup as a living being is 
uh, life eats life, right? We're sort of in this swirl of power and competition. So one, one thing to reflect on is this deep, resonant valuing of non-harming, like there's enough suffering, I don't want to cause more suffering. Oh, I got to deal with this at work, but I don't want to cause more suffering. Or I got to deal with this with my family, but I don't want to cause more suffering. I got to deal with this thing in my, you know, this addictive habit that I have, but I don't, because I don't want to cause more suffering. So it's, everything is in that context. So instead of valuing harming, we're valuing non-harming. And one of the more famous lines from the Buddhist teachings, a lot of you know this, hatred never ceases through hatred, but through love alone. This is the eternal truth. Because it always feels like aggression and ill will, hatred can be justified. And with a statement like that, we just want to get curious, like, does it actually help anybody when I get I mean, even when we're getting frustrated putting on our pants in the morning, you know, or we get frustrated in traffic, who does it help, that ill will, that frustration? Does anybody benefit? As opposed to softening, being more gentle, having a wider view, like, oh, yeah, sometimes it's like this. And even if somebody, in a sense, is the cause for the irritation I'm feeling, there's probably uh, many, many causes for that person to be acting the way they are. You know, like if we really saw everything that that person, I think about this in terms of people that I might want to think as an evildoer, you know, the bad one, the bad person who's causing so much suffering. And then not to deny that their actions might be deeply unskillful and causing harm, but to just see what's behind that person becoming who and what they are, right? They didn't just drop in from nowhere. There are causes and conditions, and they, their life, what they're doing, is the perfect expression of all those previous causes and conditions. And it's not about letting anybody off the hook. It's just about understanding the way it is. So then when we respond because we want that unskillful action to end, we're not wasting our time hating the person. Because what does that do? We kind of are in the muck, doing muck, getting dirty. So how can we be fierce and engaged and responding to suffering because we care in our families, in the wider world, without resorting to hate? or ill will. So I'll leave it there. We have time, and uh, Chelsea has the microphone. We can pass it around, point it horizontally, and then we'll be able to hear each other. And just examples in your own life around this uh, valuing of non-harming as an active expression of love, how that looks in little, ordinary ways. It doesn't have to be big things where you're you know, uh, getting involved in these Uh, global or national issues where there's a lot of harm. It might be, but it doesn't have to be. It could be just ordinary ways where this 
certainty about not wanting to add to the harm and suffering in my own life and around me and how that can be an act of love. Yeah, any thoughts about that or questions? No, I don't think so. Yeah, my name is Kermit. I found, um, I found a practical use for Meta. My uh, 12-year-old son is being spoken to in a rather harsh and disrespectful manner by my ex. And um, he's a sweet kid, too. And, um, you know, there's not much I can do except be with him when I'm with him. But other than that, um, not much. So... Those kind of thoughts set off a train that just doesn't end, and it just goes faster and faster and faster. And um, I can get pretty, um, pretty lost in thinking about that, and that just, you know, makes all kinds of old tapes play. You know, uh, what I've discovered is that um, I can send meta prayers to my son Riker. And it's it's just really easy. It's just like really warm, and it it settles me down. It it brings me back to the here and now. And <clears throat> he's the kind of kid you can just you know you can just really easily connect with him. And it's like it's kind of like the kind of like me. The prayer and him are kind of all the same thing, and it's has a real radiant quality to it and I think I think some of that kind of um, radiates out onto my ex too maybe <laughs> you know yeah, that's great and that's exactly what we want to look it's not about forcing it and not, and not about coming to it with the idea that I need to send love to my ex it's really letting that natural love between you and your son, let that, in a sense, blossom. And then discovering, like you said, Kermit, that it just seems to want to include others, including the ex. And that's really a beautiful thing, that when love, when real love is strong, we, one of the things we discover about it is that it doesn't operate with boundaries. If, it, if you have love that's operating with boundaries, you might just wonder if it's love. It might be like that, that more tribal clan, like I need you, this is my partner, co-founder of Common Ground, you know, I need you. So, you know, we're dependent on each other. And so that's great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with business relationships, but it's not necessarily love, right? It's like uh, this is really working, you know, double income, <laughs> easier to pay the property tax, you know, someone to shovel the walk when I'm not feeling good, you know, <laughs> alternate the jobs. But, it, but that, as nice as that is, when there's some kind of uh, group harmony, it's not real love. There's a kind of expansion and generosity where we we kind of get outside of that survival bubble with love, which, it, which is why it feels so healing, because we're not in that tight, fear-based place when it's really strong. 
Thanks, Kermit, for getting us going. Who'd like to go next? All right, so I work in a library, and a lot of my work, uh, more than I'd like, is kind of enforcing bureaucratic rules you know, on how the books are treated. So people, patrons do get annoyed at me, and it's very easy to get annoyed at them to take it personally when they want to contest a fine or something. I've actually found myself kind of saying to myself the word meta at work, kind of remember that, you know, they're not, don't take it personally, don't take it as an injury to yourself. You know, if people are trying to take care of themselves, you're in this job because you want to help people, among other things, and you want to make sure to keep that your focus as you do your work. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And and the thing is, it isn't about right or wrong, it's about what actually, what attitude of mind actually works, you know? I mean, even on that level, like, what attitude of mind actually helps us get to the end of the day, end of the week, so we're not kind of nailing the coffin by how we live, you know, or getting heavier and heavier. And that's the thing. It's almost sometimes, don't you find that we feel like, oh, I need to hate this person or I need to be upset at this person because otherwise they're going to get away with being bad, right? It's almost like we have to be the karmic force, sort of my ill will towards you, you deserve because you were bad. And if I don't have ill will towards you, You'll get off scotch-free, and that's not okay. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Yeah, you want to pass it in the back there? Uh, yeah, thanks Thanks for everything. Um, I guess in regards to that, I had kind of a palpable experience a couple weeks ago when I was, I was in a sauna, and I was with my buddy, and we were both listening to this, trying to listen to this kind of meditation. He had one earphone, I had another. And these people next to us just wouldn't stop talking, you know. And I'm just experiencing this intense anger towards them. Like, please shut up, you know. And of course, I didn't say anything because I'm passive aggressive. But um, <laughs> then they left, you know, they, they completely exited the sauna. So it was just me and my buddy. And um, the anger was still there. And it was just super powerful because it was like, oh, they're totally gone. And... Uh, I'm still angry, and this is only hurting myself. Um, and it and it was it was an interesting experience. Yeah, and it's juicy. the The Buddha calls anger murderously sweet. So for the ego, there's something really juicy about anger because it coalesces the ego. The ego feels so real when we're angry or self righteous. So it's hard to lose it. We look for something else. Like even though they're gone, they were still bad, you know. So I can still kind of burn with it. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Hey, how about over here? Um, my name is Paige. Um, I have been struggling lately with um, self-love and. Um, I'm a very loving person towards other people. I want everyone to be happy, but a big topic of discussion in my friend group lately has been um, how can you give when, like, you don't really, like, have anything? You know, my friend told me today his uh, metaphor was um, 
he has to make sure that his glass is full before he can like pour into others. Um, and so doing less harm, um, just learning to love myself more so that I am able to love others as well. Anything that you found works, like in, in terms of finding that capacity to care for your life, to, to care for yourself? Um, a lot of self-care and um, praying to whatever I believe in. Um, it's easier said than done. I forget to do it a lot. Um, but I definitely enjoyed the meditation today. Uh, I could only stay focused for like 10 minutes, but that 10 minutes definitely made a difference. And uh, I definitely want to like go home and do more meditation and improve on it because I feel like that would help love myself more. And, and it's important, like, for those of you who are, it's relatively new, because using a phrase can feel a little stilted or forced, like, and you mentioned just repeating the word metta, but these structures or forms, they <clears throat> give the mind, like, when that impulse arises in the heart and we realize, oh, yeah, I can be loving toward myself, you know, that memory comes back then it's nice to be able to act on it. And it's a big step to go right to some kind of natural, organic, nonverbal love, right? So, But it might be useful to use that form where we basically ask the mind to repeat a phrase. Or, and we might even include a gesture, like putting your hand on your heart, I care about this life. And again, it might feel a little artificial or forced or whatever, but that structure, it's a little bit like coming to common ground. You know, sure, you don't need to come to common ground because you can do whatever we did here tonight, you could have done at home, right? But there's something about like getting on the bike or getting in the car and getting here and sitting with the community that is impactful. And it's the same thing, that, that forced thing where you make yourself, put your hand in your heart, and you repeat the words... I care about this life, then it's like a, a smaller step to realize there's some truth in those words. So even if 80%, it feels like, oh, you're just trying to be a goody-goody, you know, that's okay, because 20% is, yeah, I do care about this life. I mean, that's true. I feel it. I am connected with that truth. And that's how we build it. So just it's not just with the loving-kindness practice, it's basically with whatever heart quality, mental quality that you want to develop in your life, form or structures really help change the wiring of the mind, right? You need these outward things. That's why they say a lot about like changing habits or having friends. So if you want, like for example, to become a more loving person, well, hang out with people who are loving. Because then you got those models that's sort of being reinforced around you. Yeah, thanks, Paige, for sharing. Who'd like to go next? Anybody on this side of the room? Yeah, please. So it often happens that I'll be thinking or talking about something, and then I come here and you say the exact same thing. And so that happened today. I had this profound thought, and then you just said it, which was uh, 
not doing harm. And so I kept having these thoughts today where I was like, every single thought was something anxious. And the thing that made me anxious was that I wasn't, I could have avoided all of it if I hadn't been sort of chasing the excitement. So the realization for me was I don't have to do better. Like I don't have to make more money. I don't have to make more friends. I just have to not harm the money and the friends that I have. So thanks for sharing that part. Yeah. Yeah, I find that really an earthy way to understand love is to, because non-harming is a little bit more real for us as we, even simple things like as we brush our teeth, as we fold our clothes, as we feed our dog or cat, as we hang out with a friend, what does non-harming look like? Because that's a little different than like, oh, how do I show this friend that I love them or my cat that I love them? That can be a little weird <laughs> in some ways. But, but this like, how can I be with this other living being and not cause harm? Like even with my body language, even with my tone of voice. I mean, I have this thought a lot. My partner was out of town, and so I was taking care of the cat uh, the last week or so. And uh, it wakes us up pretty early in the morning. And uh, I just noticed that, like, I mean, I think it's totally fine to negotiate, like, when we get up and, and to basically, basically say not now. But it doesn't have to have ill will in it, right? That sort of pushing away or no or whatever I might do. Or even, like, giving the food in the morning. It likes to be fed at 5. And, and sometimes it thinks 4.30 is 5. And, uh, but even that, like, you know how it can feel like we're, oh, I deserve to be a little irritated as I put the bowl down. Like, who, who, who what am I winning by being kind of tight about doing that as opposed to being generous in, in doing that simple thing? So it's just so interesting to me all the little ways my mind justifies this ill will, irritation, as if like I'm getting something from it. It's just very interesting. Oh, yeah, I am getting something from it. Tightness. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. What have you been learning about love in your life, even if it doesn't seem so related to what we've talked about so far? My name is Paul, and um, I'm feeling really good right now. And my life is generally going pretty good, especially recently. Um, and I find that, you know, I feel really good when I come here and, like, we do the meditation. And I feel really good. I go to a church that I just started going to on, uh, um, well, that's Sundays. That's once a week. I feel really good there, too. Um, just this love kind of feeling, just like how I feel right now, just really relaxed and loving. Um, but that's it. And for a lot of the rest of my life, like I said, it's actually going pretty good right now. 
um, on the for the like the superficial things, but but in my head, there's a lot of anger, and I seem to go from one subject to the next, almost maybe like weather patterns or something like that. Yeah. And I guess I think I have a question in here somewhere. Um. Well, what would you recommend for someone like me that's appreciates this feeling of love, but I'm not doing anything to get it in any other way? Yeah. And then in the meantime, I'm suffering with all this, um, you know, adversarial thinking or resentment thinking. Um, it's almost compulsive. Yeah, and it can, and you probably have some intuition that it could bloom if conditions changed, right? That resentment could become more and more of a dominant force. And so there is a place to, not so much to frighten ourselves, but to generate some concern. So I want to be prepared so we're not relying on favorable conditions that we know aren't stable. You know, things may be going well, but we could be the next person who gets cancer, or we could be the next person who this or that happens to, and then how will my attitude hold up then? Or someone might betray us. You know, something we're counting on might be taken away from us. So there's, so we know we have these tendencies, like you're, you're talking about, to stew, to be resentful, to be caught up in self-righteousness, and even though there may be some ways that we can kind of get some distance from it, we're still vulnerable. And so it's just about report, like, oh yeah, I want to do the persistent and difficult work of reprogramming my heart because I don't want to stew with resentment. And I know I'm susceptible and, you know, it's not even personal. It's like you put me in a particular group of people or a particular set of circumstances, and you'll get a defensive, irritated, you know, uh, person. And you put me in another set of circumstances, and you'll get a different kind of person. And so knowing that you're vulnerable, knowing that I'm vul- knowing that we're all vulnerable, right, we want to do our work, spiritual work, which is uprooting the habit of ill will, aversion, fear from our heart, stinginess. Basically, we want to uproot any tendency that doesn't do anybody any good. Why wouldn't we want to uproot it? And a lot of times, you know, uh, like in Buddhist cosmology, beings that have really favorable circumstances they might imagine there's no reason to do that work of uprooting those negative tendencies because they're not that dominant. And when they do get dominant, oh, I can go back to common ground or I can go back to church or I can hang out with these people and I'll get a respite from all that negativity. So we feel, I, I can manage it, you know. Or I can watch a funny movie and in a way, you know, kind of get myself out of my resentment vortex for a while. So I don't worry about it because I know I've got some moves. 
but we might not always have some moves. So this is the time when things are relatively good in our lives to do that uprooting process. Like if you've been deeply betrayed or if you're being oppressed and treated unfairly, that's not an easy time to uproot habits of greed, habits of aversion, habits of hatred, right? I mean, try talking to somebody who's being really mistreated and say, say to them, you know, anger doesn't help. They're, they're likely to hit you. <laughs> and you, you might deserve to be hit <laughs> for misreading the situation. The time to, to realize how unhelpful ill will is or is exactly when things are working pretty well. And we still, like uh, you were saying, you know, someone over here was saying about how even when the person left the sauna, you know, the, the, they felt like that ill will was still there. It's like, okay, something's up that I need to take a look at. And this is this sort of, it's basically the addiction to the intensity we get around greed and around aversion. Something is getting fed. In Buddhism, we'd call it ignorance. But sort of in Western psychological terms, the ego is getting fed with these unwholesome emotions of greed and all the different flavors of greed and all the different flavors of aversion. That's why nationalism, racism, sexism works. Because it, it fuels the sense of self, this... Uh, demeaning, this putting down of others. And then, of course, when economic and political forces realize how powerful, how addictive these forces are, they use them, right? They, because it helps you know, politicians get elected and helps corporations sell with whatever they're selling. So we're susceptible to that, and we need to see how we justify greed, and how we justify hate. Like all the little ways I promise myself that if I get this, then I'll be safe. Because it's not being honest with myself. It may be, there may be a wave of pleasantness when I get something, but I won't be safe. There's no safety when we're a living being. It isn't, it isn't part of the territory of being a living being, safety. Vulnerability, fragility, that's the name of the game when we're living beings. So thanks so much for sharing. We have time for one or two more folks. Yeah, my name is Rob, and uh, I am one of those people who feel that when I put my hand on my heart or when I say certain phrases, I feel a little... I wouldn't say disingenuous, but um, maybe it's not really there. Um, I also have a difficulty with the term loving kindness. I prefer something a little more, for me, realistic, like general friendliness. Mm -hmm. um, I've noticed over the years that, like a sponge you put in water, you know, I've absorbed this this liquid. And an interesting thing happened during the um, residential retreat that I uh, attended with you and Shelly. And um, she did the two loving kindness 
um, meditations, you know, the two days in a row. And I found organically this just like tears of joy. Um, now that was a really safe container. This is just a safe container. Um, and maybe that had something to do with it. That, and also the like immersion that was happening there, but it was really a, a really, an organically beautiful feeling that just like, yeah, I can like really care and I can really, I'm important to me. Um, and even that memory of what was experienced, it, it kind of is a monument that this heart, like this confidence, this heart is capable of that beautiful friendliness. And that doesn't mean I won't get angry, but the, the, the fire of that anger or irritation, that's on the surface, but there's a sense, and it's not, we're not talking about a soul that's essentially good. We're just saying that fear and anger and irritation and conceit is something that gets whipped up. And the mind has a particular you know, attraction to it. But there's something more organic, let's call it, and but subtle. So we have to learn to remember the heart's capacity to be friendly, to be good, you know, to care about not harming. It's like when we see a spider, we might have to get it out of the house, but we can care about not harming or whatever. You see birds outside in the winter, may you find seeds. You know, just that tenderness as we see somebody doing road rage, you know, oh, I know what it's like to be having a bad day. You might even be having a bad life. I don't know. But I know it's not easy being a human being. And I know it can even be worse for you than it is for me. You know, may you be at ease. May you find your way today to ease. It's not that big of a stretch. A lot of it is just having a memory where you really, and, and whether you did, you know, got on a Buddhist retreat and had a couple good sits like Rob was talking about, or just remembering a time when that love was very real and natural for you, and realize that that capacity hasn't gone away. That circumstance, a particular moment, of course, is long gone. And wanting to get back to it doesn't work. I'm sure we've all learned that. But the capacity, whatever was possible and arose in that moment, it can re-arise in another moment. The heart knows the way back. We just have to be curious about like finding our way back. And these forms that we learn, you know, the first Friday of the month, and we also do it at the center most third Fridays of the month, the self-compassion practice. These forms are just useful, skillful ways to ignite or to find our way back to that organic capacity, that friendliness, that goodness is there. But we should just be creatively trying, you know, as you leave here tonight, just see, bumping into somebody, oh yeah, that's a human being doing the best they can. They have a sensitive heart like I. Their heart's been pushed around by joys and sorrows, just like this heart has been pushed around by joys and sorrows. 
they're fragile and un- living an uncertain, vulnerable life, like I'm living an uncertain, fragile, vulnerable life. And all of a sudden, we start to feel that tenderness again. So we usually end by doing a chant, um, and there's one on page 27 that I thought might be nice. It's, it's really about generosity. <clears throat> Reflections on sharing blessings. It's called page 27. Let's do this to end our time tonight. Now let us chant the verses of sharing and aspiration. Through the goodness that arises from my practice, may my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father, and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all virtuous leaders of the world, May the highest gods and evil forces, celestial beings, guardian spirits of the earth, and the Lord of death, may those who are friendly, indifferent or hostile, May all beings receive the blessings of my life. May they soon attain the threefold bliss and realize the deathless. Through the goodness that arises from my practice and through this act of sharing, May all desires and attachments quickly cease and all harmful states of mind until I realize Nibbana in every kind of birth. May I have an upright mind with mindfulness and wisdom austerity and vigor. May the forces of delusion not take hold, nor weaken my resolve. The Buddha is my excellent refuge. Unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble guide. The Sangha is my supreme support. Through the supreme power of all these, darkness and delusion be dispelled. Thanks for coming, everyone. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.